Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast, where we interview newsmakers and thought leaders and cover the extraordinary lengths our guests go to to create their families with the help of science and technology. Today's episode, Why I'm Undergoing IVF at 50 Years Old, an interview with news reporter Darla Miles is no exception. Today's episode is supported by Donor Egg Bank USA, who understands that the road to parenthood isn't always a smooth one for everyone. That's why they offer the highest quality frozen donor eggs and a variety of financial plans. Visit DonorEggBankUSA.com to find out more. Emmy Award-winning reporter Darla Miles never imagined she'd be the center of a story involving infertility, repeated miscarriages, and trying to conceive at 50 years old, especially as she reported on extraordinary stories like this throughout her career on air. In her 30s, Darla met her husband and was thrilled to get pregnant at 36, just before their wedding. But that pregnancy sadly ended and kicked off an over-decade-long challenge to conceive. This chapter has also involved more heartache for Darla. Her husband and best friend passed away shortly after her miscarriage at 41 years old. With a history of miscarriage and autoimmune disease and being considered of advanced age, some people think Darla's goal to have a baby is unrealistic. And there are some haters out there. They won't say it to my face, because first of all, they know me. <laughs> but secondly, they're like, Darla still wants to have a baby? It's easy for you to, for you to say that we have kids and grandkids and you have the whole, you know. It's easy for someone who has had success to frown upon it. But I don't, I don't really care if they're going to want to come to my baby shower and they're not invited. How about that? Darla is determined to exhaust her options as it's in her heart to have a baby and be a mom. I certainly understand this, as do so many in our audience, Darla. Welcome to the Pregnish Podcast. Thank you, Andrea. It's it's really wonderful to have you here because, you know, I've seen, I've read now your story. You've been covered in Essence and Ebony, and you're you're coming out now with this this journey. Why has it been important to you to share your voice? Well, Andrea, it's 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 been a challenge, honestly. Um, when I interviewed for both articles. There were things I hadn't even told my mother uh, or my sisters and my family did not know. But I have a really good friend. She is an IVF specialist, and she has been featured on documentaries about African-American women and their fertility struggles. And she has just pushed me and pushed me and pushed me just to open up and share what I've been through. And can I tell you, I had no idea how rewarding it would be. The flood of comments, women who have told me their stories, who've told me they were going to give up and they had been shamed the way that I had been shamed, and now they're going to restart their journey. I have another good friend, and she tells me, when you have the desire to be a mother, it never goes away. It never goes away. Whether you adopt, whether you use a donor egg, um, whatever way you choose to bring a child into your family, the feeling never goes away. And I can tell you, I always say I have to protect my brain. So I actually don't look on social media that much, especially during the pandemic, because when I saw everyone with their families, 
I have friends who have kids in college that are now graduating from college. It's bittersweet. I'm very happy for them, but the feeling of losing time and regret is something that I can't get past. And so at 49-ish, right, 50-ish, <laughs> I, I just want to make sure I just exhaust everything on the table. I totally get it. I always say to people who don't really understand the fight that's in us to become parents, it's literally the highest value we could possibly have. We're not talking about a small goal. <laughs> Family, relationships, this is the core of like so much of who we are that why wouldn't we exhaust the options? Why wouldn't we go for the most important thing? So I, I get it completely, and I, I actually think it's uh, a testament to your strength uh, that you have this determination. So thank you. I, I do want to start, are you in any sense you're getting, uh, are you feeling emotional about the, this conversation now that it's coming right up again? I am. I, I am. Get it. So I'm going to, but I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, it's part of the process. I mean, there's not one woman who has endured what we have endured without getting emotional. And I never get emotional. I know, but this will do it. It is, it's a challenge, but knowing that, um, I can be a conduit for this conversation, knowing that, you know, I could give another woman inspiration to push past the shaming, the age shaming. Let's do it. I'm a fighter. I would say I'm a superhero, right? <laughs> I think that's great. So, so let's go to the beginning. When did you know that being a mom was in your heart or getting married or having a family? When, when did that first become apparent? Because you're also a career woman, which I am. So I get that too. So I've a couple of things. I never wanted to be that career woman who never had work-life balance. And that's just never been my goal. It's never been my intention to put my family to the side and work on my career. I am a Southern girl. I grew up in a big Southern family, Sunday dinners, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and I always wanted to be that family matriarch. I mean, that was those are the fondest memories of my life. And I remember in high school, um, I was a cheerleader and I was speaking to some of my friends. I don't know how we were talking about this, how the subject came up, but I told them, I was like, I'm going to be sexy when I'm pregnant. Like, I cannot <laughs> wait to be pregnant. I am going to be. And they argued me down that there's no way you could be sexy uh, and pregnant. As you see, that's clearly not the case. And so it's the greatest gift that we have been given as women you know, in the universe to bring life into this world. And I want, I want it. Yeah. And so it's always kind of been how you've seen yourself, you as the matriarch. Did you see yourself getting married as, as part of this uh, vision? What did you see with, with that? And how did you meet your husband? I grew up in a divorced household. But my parents were very present. Uh, they mastered the blended concept back in the 70s and 80s because I always spent every holiday with my family because they put the kids first. I'm very close to my father. I was a true daddy's girl. So I always saw myself getting married, you know. Yeah, I was just like married, husband, family, cookouts, whatever. Uh, I met my husband on a blind date. It was back in Texas in 2009. I was working as a reporter for the ABC affiliate, WFAA, back then. And having lived in Atlanta for a really long time, I still had an accountant in Atlanta. And she was visiting her nephew, and she saw me on TV, and she goes, oh my gosh, you should meet my nephew. And so she told him that 
she wanted us to meet and she told me the same thing. And neither one of us really wanted to meet each other. We're like, who wants to go on this blind date? Because I thought he, she, she kept referring to him as her young little nephew. And I'm like, I don't want to meet this kid. And he's like, I don't want to meet one of my aunt's cougar friends. You know, I, I just, it was just funny. And so I think out of obligation and respect for her, because we had so much respect for her as a woman, he sent me an email, and it was right when Facebook launched. And he's like, do you follow me on Facebook? I'm like, I'm not on Facebook. I don't do Facebook. <laughs> so anyway, we met. Uh, we eventually kind of like pushed each other off. And then one day, I remember I had a really, really stressful day at work. And I was like, don't you want to have a drink? We could at least have a drink. And we were inseparable from that first day. Amazing. And then you you got married and you got pregnant. What did you know about fertility at that point when you got pregnant? Was it like, of course I got pregnant or were you surprised? Or? I, I was like, of course I got pregnant. Duh. Absolutely. And then what happened? So I knew fertility was going to be an issue. I knew that management of my rheumatoid arthritis was going to be an issue. Um, but I didn't think it was going to be an issue that I was not able to manage. So in the three pregnancies that I had, and I'm sure if you want to go into each one of them specifically, that's not a problem. But, you know, I, I, the, we lost the, the first one, I didn't know that I was pregnant. And so I knew I was taking methotrexate, which would, you know, we knew what the outcome was going to be. So I just said, Look, we're going to just manage that. The second time I got pregnant, and I were, at the time in my mid-40s, I said, no, it was actually my late 30s. I said, you know, my problem was I could get pregnant, but I couldn't stay pregnant. So that was my problem. I could get pregnant, and I couldn't stay pregnant. So I saw my rheumatologist. I saw a specialist. I saw a fertility specialist. I saw a rheumatic doctor specialist. And we really felt like we had it managed, and that was the whole um, issue. I can get pregnant. I couldn't stay pregnant. My third pregnancy... Um, it took a while for me to get pregnant. And then I started stressing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I could get pregnant now. I'm not getting pregnant anymore. And uh, I had a colleague. There were three of us at the same time going through different phases of our f- fertility struggle. One was going through IVF. One also had difficulty getting pregnant. So we were kind of like a little bonding unit. And my colleague told me, she goes, just attack your husband in the middle of the night. <laughs> She's like, attack him. And uh, because, you know, because you get to a point where it's not, it's a, it's a duty, it's a responsibility, right? And I attacked him in the middle of the night and I got pregnant. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He probably thought that was really fun. Oh, he didn't, he had no idea. He was just, uh, you know, he had just, no idea. But you know, when I, when I read your story, I, it was also so, so obviously heartbreaking to hear that you, this great love, your best friend, you guys were inseparable from the beginning, suddenly passed away after this next pregnancy and miscarriage. What happened? So the third pregnancy, I was 41. We got pregnant in a new home, planning for like a Griswold Christmas at the house. Heard the heartbeat and then there was no heartbeat. And so they had to schedule a DNC. And so I had a DNC on a Thursday and that night we went to bed. It was, and I later found out after testing that it it was a, um, it was a Down syndrome child. And so my body automatically terminated that pregnancy. So that night, he said, babe, don't try to be strong or the hero. If you need me in the middle of the night, let me know. 
Cause just just let me know. Cause I'm, like when I would have rheumatoid arthritis outbreaks and I couldn't walk and he wouldn't go to work. He would literally pick me up and carry me to the bathroom. He was such a doting husband. He was he was you know very much like my father, but tough. Like I couldn't get away with it. Like no no monkey business, right? Um, and so in the middle of the night, he kept tossing and turning. He was I was like, why is he tossing and turning so much? Just, it was it was. And I said, babe, are you okay? He goes, I have a headache. I said, okay, let me get up. And what's in the bathroom? Do I have to give him an aspirin or Tylenol? I think I gave him a, an aspirin. And I gave him a glass of water. We had, you know, bottles of water upstairs. Give him some water. I said, here, take this. And his eyes were like dancing around. Oh, scary. And he had difficulty. Like I could just tell his motor skills were off. And then well, I was groggy, but I was instantly alert. I was instantly alert. And I was like, I'm calling. What's, I said, what is wrong with you? You know, again, being my father's daughter, like being very, because I don't panic. Mm-hmm. He, my daddy always taught me panicking doesn't solve anything. So I become acutely focused. And I said, um, what's, what is wrong with you? What, it almost sounded like I was, you know, fussing at him. I was like, what is wrong with you? Tell me what is going on with you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I said, if, there's, if you're okay, I want you to stand up. Mm-hmm. And he had difficulty standing up and he asked me to help him up out of the bed. And as soon as he stood up, he fell down like a rag doll. Oh. And we had granite nightstands. Like, bam. Like, he, his head hit that nightstand so hard. And what was even more disturbing and troubling is that he didn't even feel it. Mm. He didn't even react to the impact. I, I knew something was wrong. Oh, um, so I called 911, and mm-hmm. that's how things progressed. Darla, I can't even imagine. You, you've just come from a DNC, and this is now what you are dealing with. I can't imagine. How did you survive this? How how do you even navigate this this grief? I I in that moment I go into troublemaker troubleshooter mode. I go into get it done mode. Facts, science, no emotion, because I'm not the victim. We were in the, we were in the emergency room, and the doctor came out, and the neurosurgeon came out. They kept coke. I was crying, of course, and he was like, "This is." this is a life-changing event. You know, it's catastrophic. We want you to be prepared for it. Are you okay? Are you okay? I was like, I'm okay. Stop talking to me and go save my husband's life. I I don't freak out like that. I mean, that's just, again, what my, when I was a kid and, you know, we throw temper tent, my father refused, refused to give me attention. And, you know, if you're from the South, if you're crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about, right? Um, so, and that's how I, you know, I cover catastrophes and in, 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 in the news industry for 20 years. And I can't help my husband if I am a basket case. So I was just acutely focused and I was in, no, we're going to get it done and this is going to happen and that's it. You know, you've obviously gone through devastating miscarriages and now you're pursuing what some people think is hard to reach, getting pregnant uh, at 49-ish, 50-ish. And I I imagine this really served you actually, being fact-based, looking at your goal, being determined, trying not to get weighed down by all the storytelling and emotions and just go for your goal. Is that how you're thinking about it? So my father, I have to say my daddy, you'll hear me talk about him a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Daddy was a scientist, he was a biochemist, he was a coach, and he was in the Army. So everything I have approached in my life has been very methodical. And that's not to say I'm without emotion. So my husband passed away three weeks after his his stroke, maybe three or four weeks after. And I, I went into a, a black hole. I was in a vortex. I just had to decompress. And I, I, you know, the good thing is I allowed myself to feel the grief. I allowed myself to feel the depression. My best friend is a psychiatrist, a psychologist. So I just, and I was not, you know, it was a dark place, a dark time. And in this process, that dark place is really not that far away. What really happened is in 2020, during the pandemic, a secondary condition from my rheumatoid arthritis called spondylolisthesis, and basically it means your vertebrae can just deteriorate and move out without any notice. So I'm in excruciating pain. It's the pandemic, and my father had just passed away. And so now I'm having this major fusion L5, and I was in the hospital for a couple of days. And during my discharge, they said, so, you know, here are your discharge notes, and just make sure that you don't get pregnant for a year because you have a bone growth. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Like, what? There was no conversation pre-surgery about this. Maybe they thought of my advanced age. It wasn't even a thing. So now in my mind, okay, the clock is ticking, the clock is ticking, you know, and I'm in my late 40s. And I'm literally, my mind is counting down for a year to that day. That's um, so stressful. Mm -hmm. And so we get to the year and I missed a period. And I was like, oh, then I, that's when I was really getting sucked into that dark place. My period was late and it's never been late my entire life. And that's when you know, I share with my, I have a really good, uh, strong, fierce uh, support system. I'm very, very blessed to have a, a good, good number of close friends who are equally as like fearsful and, and go-getters and, you know, hell raisers as, you know, and they were like, no, 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 no. Let's go to the doctor. Let's figure it out. Let's get the science. Do not let them tell you anything. The determination Darla had to figure it out and have a baby, however a baby would come to her, is something that so many in our audience at Pregnanish understand. When it's in your heart to be a parent, it's tough for anyone to convince you not to pursue this high value and goal. And the way some of us get there may be unexpected, but in all my years interviewing people at Pregnanish, I've yet to meet someone who found a path to parenthood and regretted it. Knowing that you want to be a parent, but not knowing how that will happen is such a common feeling in the infertility community. That's why I'm so happy to partner with Donor Egg Bank USA. They're not only sponsoring today's episode, but also provide hope and support to those who may need a little help to build their families. A global leader in donor egg, they offer access to a diverse catalog of qualified egg donors and dedicated support every step of the way. Once you've made your donor selection, Donor Egg Bank USA is ready to ship your eggs directly to your clinic. That means there's no risk of donor cancellation or even the need for cycle synchronization, so you can start when it's convenient for you. They also offer a variety of financial plans, like the Assured Refund Plan and the Multi-Egg Lot Plan. Both offer a more financially secure path to parenthood than with traditional donor egg IVF thanks to their live birth guarantee. Bring home a baby or receive a 100% refund. You've got all the love. Discover how Donor Egg Bank USA can help with everything else you need to grow your family. 
Visit DonorEggBankUSA.com to learn more. And now back to Darla's story and her conversation with her friends as she figured out her next steps towards her goal of parenthood. Over the years, I really started looking into adoption. In fact, I started my home study process at the beginning of the pandemic because I wanted to adopt siblings, older siblings from foster care. And that is not off the table. But then in my healing process, I still realized, I want a mini-me too. You know, it's not fair. I want a mini-me. So I go to the, my, back to my fertility specialist and, and the one who told me that my eggs were too old to freeze at 41 and I just didn't pay it to, I said, okay, well, this is, I'm at a leading, you know, fertility clinic. That's what he said. And I remember sharing with my friends and they're like, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, no, nope. I'm a, I'm a reporter. I did my research. This is, these are the facts. So I go back, we have a, 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 a virtual visit and I actually brought my best friend who's a psychologist on the call with me. He was offended. He told me the same thing. It wasn't viable. How dare I kind of tone. Um, but I knew that another good friend of mine had just conceived at 50 and she'd been through the journey. I'm like, what you're telling me is really incongruent with what I'm hearing. And so we just, we just left it at that. I'm like, there, there are other options. So let me talk to other women. One of my, I mean, they got, it was one of those things, like it was like DEFCOM 10. Like, I'm going to get my girlfriend on the phone. I had so many girl, women in their late 50s who told me they were told they could not get pregnant and they all had babies. So they like, like instantly told me all these things. So here's the thing. I'm not even going IVF. I'm just saving my eggs. And wait, let me get this straight. You were 41 trying to freeze your eggs. You were told not to. Let's be honest. Sometimes clinics, and we have a lot of friends at fertility clinics and fertility specialists, but some of them don't want their success rates. That's <laughs> exactly what I was going to tell and you. And so that, that is a problem. And what, what we often do at Pregnantish, we're trying to bridge the gap a lot between the patient and provider relationship because we still want the same thing, which is a healthy baby, right? We all want this goal. We're in it together. But a 1% chance to a patient is hope. A 1% chance to a doctor is not worth it. And that disconnect is very important for us as patients to you know, understand because we have to advocate for ourselves. If something is one, 2%, 3% and a doctor says that that's just so low and it's not going to look good on our side. Well, I still may want to do it. Right. Exactly. I had a friend, she super intelligent, like one of the smartest people I know, and she's a Harvard business school graduate. And she goes, Darla, they're saying that because you affect their success rates and that's a marketing tool. And I, the light bulb went off. And so I went to New Hope. We both went to New Hope to, de- to see Z- Dr. Zhang. And I said, listen, this is the situation. I don't even know what I want to do. <laughs> I just know that the, if I have five legs, eggs left, we're going to have to put them in the bank. It's a savings account, right? I may not use the money in the account, but I want to have it there as a security blanket. And being able to go through the natural freezing process. You know, he's not accelerating anything. We just want to make sure whatever comes out is mature and we can save it. And that, I can tell you, has brought my anxiety down a lot. Now, I don't even know what I'm going to do with these eggs, right? I I want to use them. As we said at the beginning of this episode, for you, it's exhausting. It sounds like your options. So you leave no stone unturned. That's how I work as a reporter. 
you know, uh, do or die DMI, like Darla Miles, <laughs> that's what they call me. And that's what we do as journalists. We do, we make sure we find out all of the information and the data. We push the envelope. And it's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Am I a journalist because I that's my personality? Or is it my personality and that's why I'm a journalist. And I would say it's the former. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know you're a member of the National Association of Black Journalists and investigative reporters and editors. Uh, and you dedicate much of your free time also to mentoring young African-American girls. One of the biggest disconnects we've seen, because we definitely launched Pregnantish with a mission to tell the story of underrepresented communities in this conversation. Black people have, on average, you probably know by now, a disproportionately high number of conditions like PCOS, fibroid tumors, endometriosis that can negatively impact fertility. And yet, uh, some of our guests in the past, like the broken brown egg, said, I was told my whole life not to get pregnant. Not that maybe I couldn't. Are you bringing more awareness to fertility and the challenges to, to this community? So this is interesting because uh, I never meet a stranger. And with my father being a public school teacher, like, you know, I'm just like him. I'm chatty. And every time I find myself having an intimate conversation with a young black woman or man, I let them know. For example, I was at an appointment, a young male in his early 30s. I'm like, let me see your wife. Da-da-da-da. You guys, I was like, do you guys want kids? You need to plan, just like you plan for your retirement. You need to plan for this. It really is, it's just something you have to plan for medically. You plan for long-term care. And I, that's why I love your platform because it's something that we've just never talked about. And it's just not discussed whether it's in the African-American community or any other community. It's just so taboo. And why is that? It's so crazy. I mean, if you ask, we've done these, um, speaking of reporting, I've been on the street asking people, do you know how a baby is made? You know, we're getting down, Darla, to sperm and egg. I'm not talking like yeah. complicated mm-hmm. concepts. Nope, no one. What is ovulation? I have no idea. You, we are not taught in in this country anyway, a lot of it is preventing conception. So we really need to have a more full circle look at the fertility process because so many of us end up in this situation where, oh my goodness, if I only knew I was diagnosed at 14 with endometriosis, why did it take me almost a decade to conceive after that? I want to tell my teenage self now, oh, you should probably have done more investigation after you were given that diagnosis, but and nobody, we just swept it under the rug, never talked about it again. So there is, this is a new time, I think, with our voices, like your voice is so powerful here because the more we can amplify and elevate this and normalize it so it's not in the shadows and it's not some secret that we want kids, why should that ever be something to be ashamed of? It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Two things. So first, you know, as I progressed uh, and, and matriculated in my professional career as well as my, my friends, I can't tell you how many dinner conversations we all had. We're like, why didn't anybody tell us this? You know, I have a number of very close girlfriends who it's not an option. And we all wanted to be big mama, you know? We all wanted to be the head of household. And the thing that just sticks out of my head is uh, the week before my husband had a stroke, 
And I was, I mean, I was, you know, he could see the impact it had on me. And he said, babe, you're going to have to just, if, it, if we don't have a child, it's okay. You're going to have to be okay if it's just me and you. Huh, he's not here. So I'm like, wait, my husband and my kids? Like, are you kidding me? And so even, you know, the friends I have, they still, you know, are married. And that that sense of isolation, you know, because you know how it is. You have a, there's a point with your friendships and your friend groups where everybody's doing things at this family, things at the same time. And you're just kind of like the odd person out. So there, there have been a lot of conversations with my professional girlfriends where we're, we've just like dismayed at how it's, how smart we are and how smart we weren't. Right. So I'm a nerd. I, I, <laughs> I am like, I don't care. I am a proud nerd. I always say nerd cash, nerds cash, bigger checks. <laughs> so when people tease me and bully me about being smart in school, I don't really care. And so I think that we need to add to the curriculum perhaps another piece of the puzzle because we have two pieces, but there's a third piece. So in science, if you're paying attention, if you're a nerd like me, you will find out about the fertility process, right? If you, and then they're going to tell you about contraception. And I grew up in the 80s, so it was a lot of contraception, a lot of do not get pregnant because of the AIDS epidemic. But so to complete that puzzle, we need to talk about, it's dated. There's a time date. Times so when we learned about it, it doesn't say that you can never get pregnant again. It just says this is how it works. So I guess it, there should be like part of the, the the curriculum saying that you can do it, but these are the years that you should do it. So we should add to that di- uh, dialogue. And I even had a girlfriend tell me she goes, "Darla, you got to do something before your because you know your uh, ovaries have cobwebs on them." <laughs> Oh Your ovaries have cobwebs. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. Yes. There is something I remember I once researched uh, single women in Japan. They were called old Christmas cakes. There's like an uh, there's an expression about being single at a certain age that it's like we have to no, this is not there's no cobwebs on your ovaries. Uh you know, I think that here's here's the best thing that I'm encouraged by in hearing from you and your story. Um, A, you are determined however it happens. You've talked about adoption, third-party reproduction, maybe egg donation, and exhausting your options with your own eggs. So if you had come in here and said, I'm 49-ish, it will only be with my own eggs, I'd be like, well, we also have to look at the science. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a super healthy way to approach it, which is, and I used to say when I was struggling, I may not know how it's going to happen, but I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be a mom. So the how, the when, the who, (laughs) the where, who the heck knows, but the what is going to happen. Oh, it's, it's going, going to, to happen. happen. I mean, I am the, I mean, I've been an architect in, of my, in my whole life of the impossible. For example, in the news business, I became a news reporter on air at 29. That was unheard of. I was too old to do that. I just, I, I think actually being bullied as a child and being the youngest of four and the youngest in a big family. My uncle Eugene came up to me once and he said, Darla, they're going to stop if you don't react, if you don't respond to it. And that really changed my whole life. And so I just, at an early age, just learned to just, I don't really care what other people say. We always have the haters, obviously, and we have a lot of the supporters. Actually, I find more support lately than there used to be when we'd come out with these stories. But what has the response been like? I have heard from people who I have not heard from 20 and 30 years. Old colleagues, friends, high school, elementary school. I met you randomly on the street. 
it's been a great way to reconnect with a lot of people, men, women, black, white, Hispanic, like a lot of um, applause. And I've really, really loved the response I've gotten from men. They have been really supportive. They haven't looked at me like, oh, let me stay away from her because I'm done having a baby and she wants to have a baby. Like, I really have been impressed with their response. The women, I, I, just like you, I now want to keep up with every single woman who said, this is what I was told. This is what I've been through. And I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm like, we are in this fight together. You know, we're in this fight together. And there are some haters out there. They won't say it to my face because first of all, they know me. (laughs) But secondly, they're like, Darla still wants to have a baby? It's easy for you to to say that we have kids and grandkids and you have the whole, you know, it's easy for someone who has had success to frown upon it. But I don't. I don't really care. They're going to want to come to my baby shower and they're not invited. How about that? That's a good, that's a good response. So now I, you know, having this vision of you in the future, hopefully the near future as a mom, what do you imagine? You know what? I, I, I've tried to tell myself, this is what I tell myself. No, I didn't have a baby in my twenties or thirties or forties. Right. I think I'm going to be a better mom. I know I'm going to be a better mother. The the emotional tele- intelligence and the wisdom I've gained over the years, the patience, uh, the resources that I can provide now that I'm I'm successful. Uh, Hoda Kotb, I mean, is really my inspiration. And she's like, bring more babies, and that's how I am. Like, bring like I want to be like Angelina Jolie. I want adopted kids. I want my own kids. I mean, the more the better. If I could afford seven kids in my house, I would have seven kids in my wow. house, whether adopted or not. Um, so that that's really what I see. And I see that in the changing landscape of, of, of just the social world, education, and the structure that I, old school structure that I, I was reared with, I, I know I can be a benefit to a child. So the more, the better. And I see myself with a lot of help. <laughs> Amen to that. And you know what? My child is going to have a passport. Two or three months, you know, I'm not going to be stuck at home. If I want to go to to Chile or Argentina, we're going together. My child will be an, a global citizen the way I am. We're just going to keep rolling. We're just going to keep rolling. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the Pregnant Podcast, sharing your light, sharing your wisdom. We're going to keep talking. I know we are. This is just the beginning. But where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram at at DarlaMiles7, D-A-R-L-A, Miles, M-I-L-E-S, with with an I, 7. And that's also my handle on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook, Darla Miles, really easy. Thanks again. And thank you for listening to another inspiring episode of the Pregnish Podcast, where we always have real talk about fertility. And we will keep doing that. Please be sure to subscribe, tune in, tell your friends. We need to keep elevating this important conversation. Until next time.